0: Welcome to the Browser Extension Chat Podcast. This is episode number three. With me today is our regular cohort of hosts. We got Mo, we got Louis, and we got myself, Stefan, and we're ready to talk about all things browser extensions. You guys excited?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm I, Dude, I love browser extensions.
0: Awesome, awesome. So today is a fun one because this episode is being recorded about, I would say, five or six days after ChatGPT came out which is really exciting. Have you guys had a chance to play around with ChatGPT a little bit?
1: Dude, I tried it for the first time yesterday, actually. And I was, I, like, I saw some uh, tweets about it and some screenshots. But you don't really, like, feel that wow moment until you actually use it yourself for the first time. And I just thought of just a world of possibilities for users and for developers that want to build apps on top of a technology like this. Did you run into any issues where it gave you the wrong
2: answer? I tried to ask it about what's difference between the messaging API, between the two versions. And the answer wasn't wrong per se, but it's very generic. But I would say that when I asked it specifically, how do I use the port API or the Chrome Messaging API, it would give me like, yeah, it would actually, I think it would actually plagiarizing the documentation on Chrome, on the Chrome API page, which is pretty good. Mm. Yeah.
0: The way I've been using it is less for accurate data retrieval and more for creativity, which is crazy, right? Because, I don't know, when I was growing up, AI was always this thing that was not creative at all, very mathematical, very rigid, and so on. But now, using this AI, it's actually better at being creative than being rigid and mathematical.
2: Interesting. right? I came from Vietnam, and in Vietnam, the most popular robot, especially in South Asia, is Doraemon, which is a cat, a robot cat, that actually has emotion. I would say that the concept of robot being cool or algorithmic was actually not quite obvious when you say that to me.
1: I think it has a treat, if you guys can open and look it up. It's from Josh Miller, the one of the co-founders of the browser company. He said something really interesting. So his tweet says, if LLMs like ChatGBT are commoditized, then the value work that will accrue to folks who own the distribution, which are the text boxes, because that's where the user interface for users, and the data sets, right? So all the data to train. And... He says, yes, which products already have both. Now I'm not really interested in the data sets part. I'm actually interested in the text box UI part, which kind of areas and applications do most users interface with in a text box environment. Right. And he has messaging apps, web browsers, operating systems and search engines. Right. So these are, when you think of these apps, these are mostly text where we as users interface with text boxes the most. And an AI like ChatGBT is a text box-based AI that uses a text box as an interface. Now, what do you guys think out of these four, if there was like a race, an AI race, to be the big player, the platform, and where the users access your AI? Out of messaging apps, web browsers, operating systems, or search engines, where do you think the user interface for text-based APIs like ChatGPT will live. Who will dominate this space?
2: I have a fun, I have a fun thought experiment on this. Imagine Microsoft just take the Google playbook and dump it onto them. Imagine if they can incorporate OpenAI or GPT, right, into Bing, Windows, with the Cortana search, and also mobile distribution, right? Because that's precisely what Chrome did, right? Oh, Google did. Chrome is a browser that has Google search. And mm. the Google search itself is a website that has the Google search you know, bar as well. And right. Chrome, the Chrome OS and Android both have the default search bar. The default like, bar um, yeah, yeah, yeah. are yeah, yeah. Google search. I would
1: have to say out of these four, it's probably search engines. And I think search engines are the superior user interface for a chat-based AI like this, because that's where we go to find everything. Another reason is because I think a tool like ChatGPT mixed with the power of the internet would just make it so much better for looking up things in real time. Like right now, ChatGPT cannot tell you things that are gonna happen in the future. Like yesterday I asked it, when does the next Marvel movie come out? So as you, I don't know, I'm not hooked up to the internet. Although it probably used the internet to, to train, it can't actually use the internet to look up things. And I think if it could, That would just make it so much more powerful. If you could ask it a question, you have to open a website to find an answer. If ChatGPT could just do that for you, that would just be like 10 times more powerful. So I don't think operating systems here, like when I think of a text box, I don't really use an OS text box at all. Maybe like the Mac OS command space, but I don't really use that much and web browsers, right? I think web browsers and search engines, we can put them together because most search engines are. In web browsers, that's where most of them, and that's where we mainly access them. Who's going to own that text box when AI just becomes so powerful that all we need to give it is just text, and it does so many things for us, uh, so many tasks that we want to accomplish? Where is that text box going to be? And that's but, what Josh was what if, hinting to.
2: Imagine ten years from now, the user interface is actually not GUI; it's actually your thought. So you think, oh, you think about, oh, I want this done. It's done. Mm-hmm. I think it will get there one hundred percent eventually. Hundred
1: yeah. percent. For example, you guys last weekend built a browser extension that, with one click from any website in your browser, you can access ChatGPT. So now it lives in a browser extension platform. There's some other people who um, built a, a messaging bot that pings Chat ChatGPT via headless Chrome. And so it's already in text messaging apps, people built it into WhatsApp, Telegram. So it's already within one week, it's already, it started at chatGBT's website and somebody was able to build an API for it, an endpoint with headless Chrome. And now it's already in so many of these UI platforms. So I'm really curious to see who comes out as the winner of just the simple interface for this thing.
0: Yeah. And,
1: yeah. and could they, is this something that you could even make money from? Let's say you're, you are the place where everybody goes to access this AI via your text box. What even is the incentive for
2: building a platform like that? The money-making piece of ChatGPT is actually how people are able to navigate the nuance. So let's say you plan your travel and they book a ticket, right? And the data is wrong or some information is wrong, right? You can quickly tell it, hey, this is wrong. Correct it. And it correct itself right away. So it can handle that kind of nuance that you can guide it. Imagine this chat interface, adding picture, adding hyperlink, adding right. integration by the app, right? adding even call button, adding you know, automation. You can imagine that would allow a lot of that nuance to be realized even further. right? Imagine if you can send your link, and you can say, okay, highlight the link and say, oh, go inside that link, study everything in there and tell me more about it. right? And you can improve the chat interface further. So one key missing feature of the Google search is you, you cannot be very nuanced with it. Like how many times have you searched one thing in Google and then you have to open another tab to search another thing on Google, right? And then you have to correlate the two, but with the chat interface, you just ask it and then you ask it again and you have ask it, hey, correlate the two, the two results above and give me a summary or give me a comparison of the two. It can do that. That's I think that's a key part of the nuances of this model.
0: Around the world, WhatsApp is used for talking to your friends and also businesses. I think a lot of companies have tried to build an AI into their customer support as a way to reduce the scale issues they have. And it's just been a nightmare. So we use Google Workspace and there was some issue and I was like, oh my goodness, I can't find anything on Google about this. And I got to chat with a human. And I was like, wait, is this the company Google? I can actually talk to a real human when I have an issue? What's going on? And it's because we paid obviously, but I'm imagining that there's going to be situations where you're going to be talking to, I don't know, you're going to be talking to Richard, but Richard is actually GPT under the hood. And I think that's another interesting user interface. And to tie in your point, Mo, about what is a good user interface? I think the interesting thing is search search is useful. Let's say we're going to search about information of the world. You, you, every time we think about the idea of where is this LLM, what is the context it knows about? So in the context of search, it's like the world and stuff, and that's pretty useful. Like you want to learn about giraffes, he'll be an expert in giraffes. You want to talk about elephants, this dude knows everything about tusks and all the other fun stuff with elephants. But there's other stuff too, like in this example of a customer support, imagine this AI now knows all of the interactions you made on the app. And it can actually tailor the support to you. That's the data it has. That's the context it has. If you're on Zillow, maybe it knows what your budget is. So there's data there and then Zillow can offer its data too. And then now you have this really cool view into this AI is an expert in Zillow where other AIs that don't have that data can not be in that same way. And I think that's another interesting piece to it. So when I look at web browsers and these other generic software, they don't really have this data. Do you guys want to m- move on to some other interesting topic? Yeah.
2: I think we spend enough time on dbt.
0: It's a really important milestone, I think, in, in computing, so it's good to spend time on it.
2: Dude,
1: it's uh, mind-blowing. It really it's is. It's mind-blowing. It's crazy.
0: One of the things I love doing is going on GitHub and just looking at what my friends have starred on GitHub in the following page. And my friend, Rafi, start this thing called script kit which I thought was really cool. So the title they have is Shortcut to everything. And it's pretty interesting. So the way it works is you run a hotkey and you can run any script that you have saved for it. So let's say you want to search for a book and then see details about the book. So you can do similar to like command space. So you can do book search and then write the name of the book, and then it will run the script called book search. And then as a parameter, it would give it the name that you specified. And there's other ones like center app, Giphy. So you search Giphy and you paste the link. And the cool part about it is all of these are actually TypeScript scripts.
1: And the scripts, do they run locally?
0: They run locally. Yes. For example, there's some scripts that actually look at certain folders and files in your file system in order to extract data and then do stuff with that data. So you can imagine if you have a password manager, like a 1Password or something, 1Password stores some metadata about your passwords and so on in your file system. So there's some scripts that actually look at that file, parse it, figure out what it does. And then it's similar to, if you think about an extension, parsing the DOM. And then extracting some data from the website but instead of the dom it's actually the file system of the computer mm-hmm. so it's pretty pretty wild
1: what's one script you would write what's on the top off the top of your head?
0: one of the things i thought about right away is when you want to work you have all these different windows open like facetime window open my browser all these sorts of applications it would be amazing if i had a script where I can define the applications that I think are essential. And then I would just write purge and it would clear up all the other, all the other windows. It would just close them.
1: Yeah. yeah. Dude, that is like every, like everybody thinks of writing the script, but the issue is opening a file in whatever language you want to write it in and then building or compiling it and then attaching it to the runtime environment. That's where the barrier is. Like I've thought of, of the script as well, many times, but actually going and doing it is an issue. And with script kits, if, if I'm reading it properly, that's like one of the value propositions is that you can just quickly open a script and run it right then and there. And I think that's super valuable.
0: Sometimes I would write some bash script that would do something cool and I want to save it. I have to go to this directory that's in my path I have to create a new file. I have to copy and paste. I have to add the shebang, all this stuff. It's not hard, but if I'm already in the zone, I don't want to have to do this. It's going to distract me. It's, I think it's the same this way. That's like the command line version. And maybe that's why I really like this because it's exactly what you say. It's pretty tough. So what's the kind of parallel in browsers? To this. Well,
1: it would be it would be the same thing except a script that automates something on your web page. And there's so many times when I'm browsing the web, I want to have a script that kind of crawls the web page or scrapes the web page, or automates some task in the web page. And I'm like, okay, I can write a a Chrome extension for this, but there's a barrier to, to just creating a Chrome extension project, and then unloading it as an unpacked extension in Chrome and all that. And if Script Kit existed as a browser extension, I think that would be amazing. And that's what the Arc browser does. They have a similar feature called the Boosts. And yeah. they're essentially they're, they're just Chrome extensions. But they provide you with a text editor in the browser that you can write your HTML, CSS, and JavaScript in. It even gives you a settings menu that is basically your manifest file and it, you can say when you want to run the content script, like on document start or document idle, what permissions you want actually doesn't even ask for permissions because it's your own Chrome extension. So it just, it makes the process so much easier.
0: Have you guys ever used like tamper monkey or one of those like user scripts managers? Yeah, I think boosts are just like the next version of that in some ways because you can have UI and stuff. I guess you can have that in emperor monkey scripts, but it's just a little bit more harder to set up. The way I would make money when I was a kid was I would answer surveys and then the survey, like when I would answer a survey, they would give me like two cents. So the thing I did was I wrote a user script where it would just select first answer of all the questions, press next, do the same thing and keep doing it. And then eventually I think I made like $70 or something. I was so happy cause I was like, damn, I'm gonna get a new FIFA game or something. Yeah, So that's how I know about user scripts and stuff. And yeah, they're super useful. Back then I didn't really know how to code. So they're not super user-friendly, but they're okay. You don't need to like necessarily know exactly how to code. So I can imagine this boost stuff can be really useful, especially to people who don't know how to code. The emergence of a lot of these different products is potentially forcing software to be more open or extensible. And the more that these products exist, the more they'll have integrations with different software with this chat GPT thing, just to tie it back to that real quick, they don't have a official API, but so many people are trying to use it. So people build this private API. Now we have this GitHub repo and you can basically interface with chat GPT, just like it had an official API. I think we'll start seeing a lot more of that, but I think it's also going to have these applications notice, Hey, actually a lot of people want to integrate with us where before we didn't really see that. So let's actually take some time to expose an official interface and to tie it all together, I think it was a month ago, Apple announced extension kit, which is really interesting. It's basically a way for you to just reading from here, create executable bundles to extend the functionality of other apps by presenting a user interface. I think that's amazing. Like Apple is finally giving applications a first class ability to create an extension system.
1: Are these just for the macOS slash iOS apps that are built by Apple themselves? Like Mail, Weather, all those other apps. Is it just for those or is it any macOS app?
0: Yeah, the way they started is just their own. So have like apps with iMessage which is pretty cool. I right. think they were testing it out, figuring out how useful it is and so on. But a month ago, they officially publicly launched this and now any app can build this extension uh, software.
1: I'm actually super excited to show me this because I just started to get macOS development then in, in, into Swift and Swift UI as well. So this is gonna be really cool actually. I'm super interested. I'm also super interested to see what are the differences and the parallels with the web extension API platform as well. And I think this is ultimately like good competition for the web extension API. I don't think just having one major extension platform like a monopoly is good. I think this is actually really good to have one, an extension system for native apps, one for web browsers, one for mobile operating systems, well so also that they can all compete and learn from each other as well so this is really cool yeah
0: mo yeah. maybe next pod and after you do a little bit of a deep dive it would be awesome to hear your thoughts on how it is and how different it is from browser extension development i think that'd be really if
1: i have time to get into this i by the next episode or one after that i'll definitely give you guys a rundown of how this works and how we interface with it
0: when i'm commuting i take the london underground and there's no cell service in there. So you're alone with your thoughts unless you bring a book or something. And yeah. a lot of times mm. I use it as a way to just think about stuff. And extensions are always on my mind. When I look at the top extensions, I can't really think of one that's tied to a specific product. Like Adblock is generic for most products, most websites. Honey, same thing. Maybe it's a class of products, but it's not one product. Grammarly, same thing, who can, as I continue to think about it, if there is one, it's pretty rare. What's going to happen is your entire extension is tied to this one product, and they can shut you down real quick. So I was thinking about this, and now that I think about it, does it really make sense to build an extension that's tied solely to a particular product? and Can it ever be one of the top?
1: As soon as you mentioned that, I opened the Chrome Web Store and started looking at to find one just to prove you wrong, but I couldn't. So
2: VS Code is not a browser, but it lives in its own realm of text editor, right? Like you have VS Code, you have Atom, you have IntelliJ, you have all, like even Visual Studio, right, as a code editor. Each of them also have a certain kind of extension kind of interface, extension kind of store for themselves where you can just add capability, right? And it seemed to me that there are extensions that is strictly available mainly on VS Code. Yeah,
0: my, re- my thinking there is they there is no economic incentive for anyone to copy them. And it's actually a benefit for VS Code for these extensions to exist because then they don't have to maintain the functionality they provide. Once those extensions start making a lot of money, the economic incentives will change and then it the, will be different.
1: Mm. I think the one thing that could make this type of extension obsolete is the actual website building the feature into the core product with big companies, they move kind of slow or they're not interested in actually integrating the features that the extension builds into their product, maybe because it doesn't align with their vision or their mission of the product. So I think a lot of things have to go right for you. If you want to build an extension specifically on one app and have it succeed, a lot of things have to go right you have to make sure to not piss off the website that you're running on the store and the the website that you're living on top of the platform, whatever you want to call it. And then the actual core product has to not integrate the feature that you're providing into their core product. How much has Gmail changed over the last 10 years? The only thing I remember is last year they changed and they added like six different hues of blue. So that's one of the things that have to go right for you. If you want to build an extension like this, it's just Gmail is, and Google is just so fat, it doesn't, it's not interested in, in, in building revolutionary features in- for mail.
0: What really is the thing that makes extensions powerful? Why is it that these companies that are in the top 50, like what do they leverage
2: about extensions that make them powerful? For example, Grammarly, right? If Grammarly wants to provide their capability of editing anything on any text box on the web, right? I guess they can build that native app that parse that that trying to like parsing the web or parsing any native windows for text box, or they can just use a Chrome extension, make it much easier to just get input box and kind of having MVP of the Grammarly product.
1: You're talking about extending web technologies rather than native technologies, for example, extending HTML, it's easier to parse than whatever you, native UI framework is being used.
2: Yeah, well, so the DOM tree was meant to be semantic, right? And the semantic nature of it allowed for the website to actually have good architecture, right? You can actually query very easily the H1 and H2, right? And they, right. You know, they, they will have they have the semantic tag for you.
1: That's what it's meant for, really, though, and The semantic nature of HTML so is it was initially so that search engines leverage the content of the website which I think is awesome. That's why I love about HTML and the web, just it's open nature and it's extensible nature. And that's why I really think that like the future of extensible platforms is going to live on web browser. Like with this in- extension kit thing that OS just, the Apple just dropped. Yeah, it's probably really cool and powerful, but I can guarantee you hundred percent. It's not as easy as building
2: a browser extension.
1: And not as broad in a sense, not as general
2: the yeah. native yeah. kind of extension yeah. would be the optimization. Like After you have found your product market fit, sure, let's make it native. I, that's interesting that
0: you guys have this use. I, I agree with those views. Um, they're not my main view, but it's interesting to hear that perspective. To me, the biggest thing that extensions have is the ability to interface with many products. I think that is like game changing. So a lot of products are hard to work with in a backend sense, because they either they don't expose an API or maybe to interface with them requires you to set up some sort of authentication that's tricky to work with and so on and so forth. But if the user can look at it, a web extension can interface with it. And that's why it's so powerful. An extension can put its fingers in all these different web apps and produce this amazing thing for you. So many people like salespeople, they use like 50 different web apps to do their jobs every day. There's people who do marketing, like content writing, and now they have to go LinkedIn and then they have to go into Twitter. Like they're using so many different web apps. And I thought about it and I'm like, dang, that is their workflow. What can contain their workflow the best? I think the place where it's a lot more resilient and a lot more easy to work with is extensions. That's why I think extensions are so amazing.
1: I think the ultimate solution to problems like this is having features built into the core product itself, but sometimes you just can't get that. And that's where extensions come in. That's why sometimes I think, that's why I think it's hard to build businesses on extensions actually, because it's hard to monetize. I think they're really good for these like short-term or kind of stitching together different web apps scenarios until these web apps or these these products implement whatever features you want to build in your extension into their core product, which take times or maybe never happens. And I think that's one of the best use cases for extensions is when you want to just quickly go in and build something to automate something for you, because that's the best UI and UX route you can take, right? But again, it's, that's not always going to be there. Your tools are not always going to have those core features that you want. And that's, I think, browser extensions come in.
2: This, you know what, though? This actually me the thought about, yeah, this this is a good idea for a job board to make extension. Uh, you would actually propose that in this kind of job board, and then, you know, well, and then you have extension deliverable coming yeah, yeah. in. Yeah, so I use from.
1: Upwork. And each day, there's there's posts. For people looking for the use case that you mentioned, I want to integrate or connect these two, three apps I have together, fix a workflow for myself or my company, but again, this is on Upwork, which is a general freelancing website. If there was one for browser extensions, I'm not sure if there's a market for that. It's interesting the idea you bought it up because I, I think the browser extensions are powerful enough to create this kind of little niche market for, it. and it's just it's got to be quick. It's got to be fast.
2: That's what I'm saying. Like it has to be quick. Yeah, right? it's it a quick in terms of out turnaround time. Quick, cheap, and fast to get there. And I feel like, due to the fact that there's no, there's no focused market for that, because Upwork is very generic, right? Like when you go to Upwork, you likely search for programming mm-hmm. with the keyword yeah, the exactly. extension, right? But how about you, you can even remove the Chrome extension from it, right? And you can mm. say integration mm. job board, a job board for integration. Hey, i want to integrate these two pieces do do however however mean you want you do whatever mean two pieces to work together and then they can just do that do that do that coring my name so, have you guys ever heard of
0: bardeen
1: bardeen sounds so familiar sounds like a name of a person oh bardeen.ai yeah. Bardeen. yes yeah yes, yes. Title, uh, i've seen that before
0: whenever there's an idea i always think what's the problem it's solving so louis the idea that you had here Is it solving a similar problem to Bardeen, or basically a person has something they want to do, but they just don't have the time or the technical know-how? In your case, the problem that they need to fix is, I need to get this integration working. I need to get this extension working. I guess Bardeen and the job board, they solve the same kind of problem.
1: This is very similar to ADEPT as well, no? Same idea, essentially.
0: Yes, similar. They don't use natural language. Oh, okay. You can have a block of data, and then now it has an output, and then you can have another block, and that takes the input from the previous block, stuff like that. Um, and oh, okay. Yeah, like the reason why I bring it up is because there was this guy randomly DM me on Twitter months ago, and he asked me like, "Hey, can you make a? Can you make me a Chrome extension?" I was like, "Yeah, sure." And then he explained what it was and it was something not so complicated. It was like a duct tape, right? Tying one in one web app with another, and then that's it like copy and pasting stuff. And I told him like, Hey, actually, I don't think you even need an extension for this. Just use something like Bardeen because Bardeen will do just that. And it's all no code. You just drag and drop these blocks. And if it's something not so complicated, it's fine. It just works. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, that's kind of sounds like Bardeen.
2: Yeah. I think the one the one missing piece of Bardeen is it doesn't really it seems like it served very specific website, right? For the most cases. Right. But it has a set of websites it's known to serve. So I would say the basic case. But the basic case can totally be solved by Bardeen. That's why Bardeen is integrated into Notion. You can you can already see the name of the Bardeen as like the top kind of extension and that for example, right? People like I don't know, drop shipping on Amazon, something like that. Or, oh, like having a, there is an art auction or a shoe auction, a sneaker auction, and they want to have you know watching the page. And uh, right now, I'm, I'm really thinking about niche market, but you can also think about enterprise, right? A lot of enterprise uh, want to have like internal API built as well, or oh, in internal API integration. So, it's not just public API, but it's internal API, internal pages.
1: Bardeen. So there's the only difference between this and ADEPT, the interface is a natural language versus this is more structured blocks. It has an actual graphical user interface. Where ADEPT instead has a natural language prompt where you tell the AI what you want to automate on the page and Bardeen has more structured UI. What do you guys think? For this specific use case in the browser environment, which one do you think will come out on top? Let's say in five years, is it going to be natural language or one where it's more structured?
0: So just to tie in everything we talked about, what I think is going to happen is we're going to have blocks that are written by open source people. And you're going to have a collection of blocks, similar to a script kit, where there's going to be a block to extract something from a website, let's say Notion, get the settings, click on the settings. You're going to have all these open source blocks. And then there's going to be a large language model that you tell it what you want it to do. And rather than in Bardeen, having to drag and drop these blocks and come up with a flow, large language model is going to create these block flows for you. And then you can look through it and you can be like, okay, yeah, that looks about right. And then you press go and or you save. And then now you save that automation. I think likely that's how um, I view it. I actually don't think it's going to be like that.
1: I think there's going to be a, a large language model that we interface with and to tell it what we want. And there's going to be a separate model that bridges from the natural language model and it understands what you want to do and it, Parses it to actual JavaScript commands, knows how to read, parse, and manipulate the DOM and dispatch certain events where it needs to. So I think it'll be purely the model on top of the JavaScript or whatever UI manipulating methods we have in the future.
0: I wonder if you have like another model that actually explains the code. So you don't have to understand coding or anything like that. And instead, this model explains it in English just so you can review the steps before it actually does what it's gonna do. Machine learning all the way.
1: You don't want it to do anything wrong, right? Click the wrong button, send an email before it prematurely. You don't want it to do that. Uh, unless we can make mistakes and errors cheap and not matter at all somehow. Or maybe it can run a simulation for you, like briefly before you actually run the command just to show you what it would have done, what it would do. I think that'd be really cool or just to let it do its thing and make errors very cheap and reversible Yeah. because like these models are super smart. They're never 100%. a hundred percent. It's going to be history books. Just that's just how fast the pace that this technology is moving at. And I'm super excited
0: to see where it goes. Yeah. Really incredible. Cool. Yeah. All right. Hey, it was great chatting to all our listeners out there. We'll see you in, in two weeks.
1: See you guys. Thank you, you, Stefan, Lewis.